This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. I'm speaking with Glenn Popeil, KW5GP. Good afternoon, Glenn. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Good, good. For people who may not be familiar with Glenn, those very few people, uh, Glenn is a world-renowned author of amateur radio books. Uh, your first one for ARRL, if I recall, was Arduino for Ham Radio back in 2014? That's correct, yeah. And that was followed up with more Arduino projects for ham radio, and that was in 2017. So here we are, right. it's 2021, and you've got yet another book. Uh, now more yeah. Arduino for ham radio that just showed up in the warehouse. Yeah, about two, three weeks ago. Now, for those people, Glenn, who may not be fully aware uh, of just the whole Arduino universe, can you start at the beginning, what is an Arduino? Can you define that? Yeah, it is a credit card size board that is a microcontroller, um, meaning that it has uh, direct input and outputs that you can read and control. And think of it as the uh, engine management computer for your car. Uh, it's not like a Raspberry Pi that runs an operating system like Linux. It is literally a low-level microcontrolling board that you actually control the bits and, and data going in and out. So there is no operating system? No, it's all written in C++, uh, a derivation of that that's almost English language, very easy, but uh, no, there's no operating system per se. An awful lot of hams are playing with Arduinos these days. What, in your opinion, accounts for the popularity? Uh, I think it's the ease of use, the learning, um, but the price, I mean, for even with the chip shortage today, you can get the boards for six bucks. And um, the components that go along with it are equally inexpensive. So the fear of burning something up kind of goes by the wayside when it's not a hundred dollar chip that you just cooked. You know, it's a, a three dollar one. You don't you don't get as nervous that way. How about the actual programming? I mean, it's been years since I dabbled in basic or fortran and i remember it could be a bit of a pain back then is it different now no not really uh well actually yes it is different i mean it's very simple uh we have actually uh done some projects with the local library here and we taught a nine-year-old how to program the arduino and we also taught her how to solder so uh my Basic stance is if your average nine-year-old can do it, then just about anyone can. So you need, I would take it from a hardware standpoint, you need a laptop, is that correct? Or some uh, sort of computer? Some kind of workstation. Yes. Yeah, a PC, Linux, or a Mac will all work. And then the connection to the Arduino development board itself is what, USB? Yeah, you use a USB cable, and all of your development is done on the workstation, and then you compile and upload the code into the Arduino's onboard flash. And there it's permanently or semi-permanently saved, and everything runs from there, so you can disconnect it and 
hook it up to a battery and off you go. So when you apply that battery power to the board, it does it immediately start running whatever program you've put in it? Yes, it does. And so it just executes whatever it is you're uh, attempting to do. Right. Uh, for example, you know, one of my favorite projects was a CW keyboard. And I took an old PS2 keyboard, uh, and we actually modernized that in the current book, and we switched up to a USB keyboard and plugged it up to the Arduino. Uh, there's a library, which is basically a driver package you can get to add to the Arduino. And all of these libraries are free and uh, gave me the ability to read the keyboard and built that thing in less than a week. The code was hardly anything. And now I've got a CW keyboard that's battery powered. I don't have to key or anything. I just type. Wow. Well, looking at the projects in your brand new book, uh, I see a lot here. Uh, what is the, am I, I'm going to mispronounce this. What is a Peltier? Is that right? Cooler controller? How do you pronounce that? Yeah, that's Peltier. It's um, a small, typically small, there's a small square white chips you see, maybe about an inch and a half to two inches square. And they are thermoelectric heating and cooling devices. Basically, one side gets hot and it transfers uh, that heat to the other side or from the other side. So basically you have one side that gets very hot and one side that gets very cold. And uh, it, it literally will, will freeze water. And a lot of your portable cooling units now are driven by Peltier units. So think of it as a, a super strong um, uh, you know, electronic uh, heat sink would be the best way to look at it. It literally pulls the heat away from anything on the one side. That's incredible. I've never heard of that. Yeah, and you can also flip it over and do the reverse and have it heat something the same way. I also see on the list you have a RIDI reader, an RTTY reader. That's does, correct. Okay, how does that work? I have always been a fan of radio teletype from the day I started. I mean, that was one of the reasons I got my general all those years ago was so I could play on the local two-meter um, FM RIDI net that we had down in Miami. And I had a big old Model 15 at the time. So Riddy's always been a favorite thing of mine. And I decided to try to do that with the Arduino. And uh, one of the things I try to do in my book is not so much focus on the Arduino itself, because everybody does that. You can get any kind of Arduino book to learn the Arduino. I wanted to apply it to ham radio projects, but I also wanted to use components that people may not understand what they are or just be afraid of them. And in this case, uh, I had discovered that there was a, a universal asynchronous receiver transmitter chip, also known as a UART, that had just become available for the Arduino, and that will allow you to send and receive serial data, which is what RIDI is. It's uh, instead of the 8-bit ASCII, RIDI is a 5-bit code. And by using this UART, I was able to directly receive the five-bit code, pull it into the Arduino, and convert it to ASCII, and then display it on the TFT display. So the hardest part about that was coming up with the actual uh, frequency decoder to detect the uh, 170 hertz frequency shift on the radio teletype signal off of the air and give me ones and zeros. Now, you mentioned the TFT display. I was wondering about that. How do you interface that to the Arduino board? 
Uh, there are several ways. Uh, Arduino has several interface buses. Uh, one is called the I squared C or I two C. That's and then the other is uh, the SPI serial peripheral interface. And these are basically buses that everybody is building their modules to conform to. To actually connect the TFT, I literally hook up the, uh, the standard SPI type connections, load up the library, tell it what pins the TFT display is on, and off I go. Then I can just print to the display, send graphics and all that kind of stuff to it, and it's all built into the library. Oh, that's much easier than what I was doing in the bad old days of programming. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> this is so simple. I mean, it's literally, call it four wires, and you've got your display up and running. Speaking of displays, I note also here you have a Yesu CAT computer-aided transceiver display. What's that? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, most, of, if not all of the modern rigs today have got that uh CAT interface uh, on the back. It's either USB now or the old DB9 style connector. Um, some of the older ICOMs have, have the CI5, I believe, which is a, um, a mini plug. But this allows you access to the transceiver itself to both uh, receive and send commands and data to and from the rig remotely. And I said, wouldn't it be cool? And then my you know, the most dangerous word you're going to hear me say is, wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> I could hook up to one of my Yesus and pull off the VFO A and B information, the mode I'm in, and a couple other parameters and display them on a, a TFD display. And so that's what I do with that project. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> that's something I would need to see. So. <laughs> You can you can literally expand that into any cat function that the rig can do. You can get the Arduino to do it for you. I also see you have what's it, one, two, three at least projects here involving antenna rotators. Yes, <laughs> those are my favorite Arduino projects. Um, I just keep coming up with different ways to do them. Um, I chose the AR forty. Uh, rotator controller for this project because it's an inexpensive and very common rotator, but it doesn't have any uh, computer control capability as an option. And so I wanted to dig into that and um, actually come up with a way so that I could interface it to things like Ham Radio Deluxe so that I can have that little uh, AR40 do the same rotator control functions as I can with the you know, the big $1,000 uh, computer-controlled ones. How well does it work? It's accurate to within about uh, one degree. Wow, that's great. Considering your beams have got, what, five, six, seven degrees at absolute best, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're going to do just fine. I would say so. And you had mentioned also the already the uh, USB CW keyboard. And I was thinking about that, um, putting myself in the shoes of a person who is brand new to Arduino, would that be a good project for someone who has your book and is just starting out, or would you recommend something perhaps a little less complicated? Oh, gosh. I, I worked hard to keep all of these projects simple. Uh, most of them are simple weekend builds. Um, some of the other projects I've got there, such as the rotator turn indicator and position indicator, 
those would be easier starter projects, but the CW keyboards are very easy. Um, they're literally plug and play. You know, you can duplicate my code. You don't have to modify the code to get this stuff working. If you want to add your own bells and whistles, you know, that's, you know, what, what the rest of the book is for. Where do you obtain the code itself? Is it in the book? Do you hand type it in? No. Um, I, I actually detail out every section of the code so that you can understand what the code is doing. But on uh, my website, um, and uh, the ARRL uh, website as well, um, they have the uh, all of the code, which is known as sketches in the Arduino world, because it actually came from an art institute. That's where it was developed and created, so they call the program sketches. All of the sketches and libraries are online, so you just download them, uh, edit them with your IDE, or pull them into the integrated development environment on your workstation, and off you go. Upload it and go. Once again, <laughs> much better than it used to be. Oh, yeah. I, I know. I, I was back from that day. I remember getting the monthly listing of, uh, what was that, popular computing and uh, hand typing in or even manually keying in some of the assembly code that we'd get with those. No, this is so much easier. This is literally, it's a text file, and it's very English readable. So you can easily see it and modify it. For example, there's a gentleman uh, over in the Netherlands that uh, took the original CW keyboard and gave it something like 256 memories and cranked it up to 60 words a minute, and he's using it for contesting. Really? So yes. That, so it's got to be reasonably straightforward if somebody with virtually no computer experience can pick up your book and get started and, and actually build a project, something that works. Right. And um, for this book, I really targeted that middle audience um, for for people coming into it and wanting to go a little bit advanced, but not wanting to go over the deep end. Um, I really targeted uh, the introductory and the middle uh, level so people can grow into this. Um but no, it's really easy if you treat the libraries for things like the TFT displays and the USB keyboard as black boxes. All you're concerned with is typing a key and getting the data out. You're not concerned about what that driver is doing. And as long as you can compartmentalize that in your mind that I don't really need to know how this works. I just know what it does. You're good to go. Now, some projects I know you've been dabbling with, not in this book, but others, uh, you have <laughs> you have gone off the deep end, as far as I could tell. <laughs> you've been watching, yes. <laughs> um, one of my current favorites, and I swear I'm going to get this done, um, we've all seen the MFJ Beacon Monitor. Um, that is, basically, it's an atomic time base that lights LEDs on the front of the box to indicate the part of the world that should be transmitting on the worldwide beacon network um, at that particular time. And I'm like, let's take this to the next level and replace those single color LEDs with an RGB LED, give it a receiver and an Arduino, of course, and now listen on the Worldwide Beacon Network, and I've actually found a five-band receiver board. I think it's like $30. So uh, 
listen on the Worldwide Beacon Network on various bands that it's on, and it transmits a uh, a low power tone. I believe it's at ten watts, and a high power tone at a hundred watts, and it does it based on a very strict, you know, uh, time base. So then I would use a GPS to get my, you know, accurate time. So I would know that if I'm hearing a tone, I know who's transmitting and I know whether I've heard the high or low power beacon or both and light that uh, three color LED accordingly based on the part of the world that I heard. So at any given moment, you'd have a worldwide propagation map sitting on your desk. I could be misremembering, Glenn, but I thought at one time you told me you were also working on, was it a FT8 decoder or something like that? We actually built the JT65 transceiver, um, and that was in my second book. JT65, that's right. Um, yeah, we used one of the little uh, $10 Pixie boards, which is a CW transceiver. And um, the, the cool thing about it, JT65 is 65 tones. A CW transceiver is two tones, on and off. Um, we found a way to use one of the... Uh, direct digital synthesis chips, the DDS, and get it to shift the frequency fast enough. So basically, we're taking the old radio teletype FSK keying and doing it for the 65 tones of JT65, and we were actually able to make a CW rig send and receive JT65. <laughs> so you are a mad scientist after all. <laughs> well, I had help with this one. Uh, this actually came out of a forum question at uh, the Huntsville Ham Fest when I first started out. And somebody asked, can it do JT65? And the the ready person in me said, well, if you can do this, 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 and this, and shift the frequency, I don't see why not. All you're going to need is the code. Next thing I know, somebody got uh, Joe Large involved, and boom. About six weeks later, we had a fully functional JT65 prototype. Well, I think you'll sell, or not, not you're selling it, but I think the league will sell plenty of your uh, new book. I I know it's available <laughs> um, now, in fact, from the ARRL bookstore. It's on, uh, or will be soon, on Amazon and then various ham dealers and whatnot. But, uh, you know, before I let you go, Glenn, because you are such a, a renaissance man with your writing and your Arduino projects and everything else that you do, as a cat lover, I would be <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't mention. Now, please correct me, because I know I'm going to get this wrong. One of your cats was or is the national best in show champion. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. Um, depending on which one you want to look at. Back in 1989, um, one of the largest shows in the country was there at Madison Square Garden, and realistically, you can call it the equivalent of the Westminster Dog Show. And the great, 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 great aunt of the two that I have now took a best-in-show at that show. And at the last show in Huntsville, Alabama, just before the pandemic shut everything down, uh, one of the two I have now actually took a best in show, which basically means that for that moment in time, she was the best of all cats in the world. Are there any photos of the cats in your new book? No, not oh no, I don't not in this book. No, I know they like um, to help you with your projects. <laughs> yes, um, 
help is not necessarily the right word. When I come back from a ham fest, they're usually the first one into the backpack to see what I brought home. Um, I came home from Dayton a couple of years ago, and I swear that I had a couple of HRO souvenir pens and a bag of power poles and things like this, and I scoured the house, and I got convinced that I had forgotten them up in Dayton. And about three weeks later, I found them. They had stuffed them underneath a closet door, and it's one of those bifold doors, so you had to literally look underneath the crack in the door to see where they had stuffed them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they are, uh, anytime I'm in a project, it's a miracle they have never burned themselves with solder or anything like that, but they are literally right there stealing parts whenever I'm working. Well, Glenn, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, and you need to get to work on the next book. Yeah. <laughs> Funny you should say that. I finished this one. I said, okay, I'm out of ideas, and I've already come up with a half a dozen. Uh, one idea that we didn't touch on that I think is going to be really cool and probably going to get me thrown out of fox hunting for life. Um, fox hunting is nothing more than triangulation, right? Okay. Uh, one of my... One of my favorite things to play with in the Arduino is, of course, the GPS modules because they're only, you know, seven, eight, nine dollars. Um, if I can take a directional antenna and put a sensor on it, these uh, nine degrees of freedom sensor, which gives me elevation, azimuth, and magnetic uh, compass capability, I can determine the bearing for each. Fox transmission, and I know my current position from GPS coordinates, if I get two bearings, literally, I should be able to get the GPS coordinates and calculate the uh, intersection of those two bearings, give you direct GPS coordinates, and then you walk directly to the Fox. <laughs> I think that's called cheating, Glenn. Uh, it's called radio location, direction <laughs> finding. I found it. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it, it would definitely take things to the next level. It, it would at that. It would. Well, thank you, Glenn. <laughs> I, I certainly appreciate it. It's always, it's always fun talking to you. Uh, oh, thanks, Steve. We could do this for hours. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL, and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.